Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, the co-founder of The Leveragists and Divisio.com, along with my partner, Jack Humphrey. How are you today, Jack? Great. Wonderful. And I'm super excited about our guest today. I am as well. I'm hoping Andrea can tell me where he is because he's not here yet. Oh, well, I'm still excited about him. I think uh, once you guys meet him, you'll realize he can be here without even being here. <laughs> but he probably can be, can't he? <laughs> well, if you want to tell everybody a little about him before he gets here, I'm sure you can do that while I'm working on figuring out where he is. No problem. So today we're going to talk with Sid McNary, who explores how you can literally change your life with the power of meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. Sid is a warrior who lives fully in peace, has a previous coach, uh, football coach at Northern Illinois University with a major in movement and sports science from Purdue University, and a master's degree in sports administration from Eastern Illinois University. Sid's path to healing and inspiration others, uh, inspiration, inspiring others was destined. Uh, in 2016, Sid became a best-selling author uh, with Yoga and Life Empowerment. He also published a book in 2013 called Empowerment and Beyond. And in 2017, Sid published his latest book, The Warrior Within, A Quest for Peace. September of 2017, Sid began his mission of spreading peace throughout the world through the Peace Across America Tour. And you guys can follow Sid and the tour on Instagram at Sid McNary. Well, while we're waiting for Sid to get here, we can talk a little bit about mindfulness and meditation and the role it's played in our lives, couldn't we, Jack? We could probably talk an hour about that. Yes, that's why I'm one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you get us started? What role has that played in your life? Um, A life-saving one, I think. Uh, I was one of the people who was uh, predestined to think that that was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, that mindfulness stuff and meditation, and uh, I didn't understand it. I was like everybody else, and everybody else until they have a breakthrough, and probably mine was more accidental than intentional, Um, but I had some pretty neat things happened to me once I had opened up um, 
and I didn't know I was opening up. Didn't know how far I was opening up, so uh, I won't tell the exact story because <laughs> it's kind of long, but uh, Gina knows it, and Gina knows what happened in the park that day and several other times, and uh, ever since I've been, I've been a believer uh, in sitting down, shutting up, and being quiet for 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day. I stopped calling it meditation because I want to try to get other people to do it, and the word meditation scares the bejesus out of everybody. <laughs> so I don't use that word as much as possible anymore uh, if I want to get people to be open to it because it's not really a big deal. But uh, people make a big deal out of it. Well, and I think Sid has just joined us. And let me just add that, you know, it has literally been life-saving in my own life as well. So, Sid, you are on with Jack and Gina, and we are so looking forward to having you here today. Jack, I'll let you take well, it from this, there. This is Andrea, and uh, I just talked to Sid last night, so I don't know if he's stuck in an upward dog or <laughs> a warrior pose. So I just reached out to him on two different lines to let him know that we are waiting for him. And uh, what I can do is if you guys want to um, talk a a second longer, I I have someone else that um, has actually doing some other projects with them, with Sid, and the future that's actually I wanted to have on in a future show, and I can see if one of them can jump on the line with us. That would be a great idea. All right. Well, I'll I'll do that. So I'm going to hang up with you guys, let you talk business a minute, and then we'll see if we can't do that. Sounds like a plan. Well, you know, Jack, you and I can talk forever on the topic of mindfulness and meditation. My first experience with it was back in 2005, about six months after the doctors had given me a death sentence. They basically told me that I had 12 to 18 months to live. I was 40 years old at the time. And a wonderful massage therapist told me that if I could remove the negativity from my life, I didn't have to die as soon as I thought. And that led me on a a journey of exploration and research for about four and a half months, during which time I learned about the power of meditation and visualization. And it, you know, they really are one and the same. It's that quiet time, you can use it to do lots of different techniques, whether it's yoga, visualization, or something else. And it was through the process that I developed first on my own and then with one of my physicians that it literally helped to save my life. In just four and a half short months, I went from being in a wheelchair to being able to walk stopping 42 pills per day, four continuous IVs per day, and going from literally having been told that I was clinically dead to being 100% well. And it has totally changed my life ever since. I use mindfulness and meditation on a daily basis. It makes so many things so much better, doesn't it, Jack? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's uh, I think it's a little bit more on the nose than people, uh, you know, give it credit for. So, like, when somebody is saying, you know, this is a motivational speaker and talks about being positive and positivity or um, 
anything like that, when you're just being mindful, when, re- when you remove negativity, when you remove what some would call resistance in your life, it opens a place for something else to fill in. And um, I'm, I'm actually fascinated by studies that they've done with religious people who pray at every meal. And they did, they did, they done all kinds of studies. One is um, that they were in better shape. They had better health and they were typically thinner than people who didn't. And good studies, big, nice studies that, that are kind of, uh, uh, they shut the door on doubt. <laughs> and I think what that is, is that people who pause and become mindful all of a sudden at dinner time about the food they're about to eat and then, then they think about, you know, the typical Christian prayer seems to be something about to the nourishment of my body and thank you for this meal and stuff like that. And you can say that maybe it's, you know, God responding or something, but you could also just say mindfulness. That's mindfulness. It's really agnostic. It doesn't have to do with, to me, it doesn't have to do with any particular religion. It's just when you sit and you work on something, you think about something, you know you are 100% in the room that you're in and you're not, your thoughts aren't flying all over the place. And it really does open up a well that can be filled with really, really wonderful things. It can be filled with abundance. It can be filled with just, uh, it can change your whole day from what it was intent, what it was about to be to what it ended up being. And it can change your week. And like Gina said, it can change your whole life. And she's living proof of that. Yeah, completely. You know, it, yes, it started for me with improving my health and well-being, but it totally transformed my relationships, my finances, and just my whole outlook on everything. I wasn't nearly as much of a leveragist back then as I am today. And you know the impact that's had on me, Jack. And that really came from starting with mindfulness, then moving into meditation and visualization. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it goes all across the board. Uh, Some of the most incredible Olympic athletes in history, including the number one now, Michael Phelps, uh, use meditation and visualization as a core component of what they take into the pool with them or take onto the track with them um, to win all those gold medals. And they swear by it. And almost all coaches now have some form of a, uh, a way of getting their team into the the mindset that they should be in for a game, for performance, for individual or or uh, sp- group sports, whatever, team sports, group sports. I'm such a not sports person. Uh, <laughs> you know, where they all get together and throw balls around. But it, it works. I mean, those guys, you could interview any of those coaches, and they don't 100% of the time say that they would, we, they would like to do even more with their teams along those lines uh, because they know. They know it works. And uh, Phelps would tell you, and anybody who, who would listen, I'm sure, that uh, the visualization uh, that he does before or did before uh, each one of his uh, meets was crucial, um, as much as what he ate and how much he trained every single day. Well, and I think in today's world, if we look at any arena, whether it's sports, whether it's business, doesn't really matter what area we're looking at. Those who are most successful, they all know something about meditation and mindfulness and practice it on a regular basis, don't they? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's cool to bring up now. I think there was a time when people, you know, probably did it, but kind of stayed in the closet about it because they didn't want to be labeled as woo-woo or they didn't want their boardroom fellow execs to think they were weird or something or uh, locker rooms or anywhere else. But nowadays, man, it's just out there. It's cool. Everybody understands it a lot more. People have a lot more vocabulary about it. And I think the discussion we're having these days is with people who don't get it yet. They, They can't calm their mind. They've been told one single way to meditate. They tried it. They found it lacking. They blame themselves for not being able to turn off their thoughts or whatever their person who told them what to do said to do. And then they said, when asked about it later, they just say, oh, meditation sucks. I can't do it. And then I always have to ask them, well, how many times have you done it and what kinds of meditation have you done? There's thousands of ways to get into a meditative state. (laughs) And they would say invariably, well, somebody told me how to do it this way once, and I crossed my legs and put my fingers together and all that stuff that everybody thinks meditation is, and then they they couldn't do it or they didn't feel good afterwards or they didn't feel like they got into a meditative state, so they said meditation doesn't work for me. And they went on to live for years and years and years. That's that's their story. I can't meditate. I don't meditate. I tried it once. And that's the biggest downfall of all. It's only trying it once because you only did one kind. You know, did you have music? Were you using aromatherapy? Were you just in a dark room? Were you in a, you know, a a chamber? (laughs) What was it? Or were you jogging? Or, you know, there's so many different ways to do this stuff. And um, most of the time they just say, I only tried it once. I thought that, I thought that was it. Oh, I've heard that story too. But we have Andrea back. And who did you bring with you, Andrea? Well, I have a friend of Sid's. I, like I told you, Sid must be stuck in a warrior pose. Um, so I'm sure that's what happened. He's so deep in thought with his meditation that he has um, zoned out of this time and probably on some maybe wonderful, beautiful astral projection. We're going to assume that. <laughs> so we've brought on his friend, Paris Wynn. Paris is amazing and you'll be so excited i mean we have a real treat i had uh wanted to bring him on in the future and what a blessing we get him today because he's a new age and world beat musician and producer with a special focus on yoga music and kirtan it's the call and response singing of baka yoga um he does live performances with chanting a jazz gospel blues and rock he puts this all together with world beat rhythms he even sings in both english and sanskrit plays a guitar and uh, an and, uh, inter- instrument that's like the um, Indian, is it called a sitar? And he's recorded many, many songs with notable musicians that when he goes through the list of who he knows, you guys are going to be totally blown away. And he's even played at the yoga ball for the uh, the past president, Barack Obama, for his sec- second inauguration. And he has done so many things, and he's part of this festival called the Love Light Festival, which is kind of like a sister to Woodstock minus the drugs and alcohol, but all a love about peace, love, and acceptance. So if you guys will give a warm, warm love to Win Paris for me. Hello. Well, welcome Hello. to Leverage Masters, Paris. Hi, hi. Thank you for inviting me, Andrea. Um, it's a little spontaneous, but I am a uh, um, longtime yoga practitioner and meditator and I was just listening into the last few things you were saying about all the different styles of meditation and 
I agree 100%. Uh, and so I'm, I'm here just to answer any questions about yoga or speak about yoga and, and try to uh, shed a little bit of light. Yeah, and when feel totally open to promote Love Light Festival because that's something that Jack and Gina would totally love. And with the one I coming up in September. I can't wait to hear about it, Andrea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll it is an unorthodox, it's an unorthodox start to leverage masters, but I, I never really got into orthodoxy anyway. So <laughs> thank you and welcome. Thank you for making the time at the last second to be here. Um, and I'm glad you caught the last part of what we were talking about. I would love to hear your thoughts about encounters that you have with people who are uh, early or pre-meditators or people who have just given up on it because it didn't work for them once or, or somebody told them a really weird method that they would have never liked anyway and they thought that was the only way to meditate. Do you run into folks nowadays or are you still on the inside that everybody's like a level 50 magi or something like that no no i think that you know yoga is broadening they 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 once said that yoga was uh an inch wide and a mile deep now it's a mile wide and an inch deep it's uh it's something that everyone encounters now from the gym to television everywhere so it's very mainstream and the understanding of yoga is catching up but it's a very deep deep tradition and like you say, there are a hundred different ways to meditate and everybody has their own um, energetic, you know, so one person may have a very quick active mind and for them, they may, they may want to have a physical practice to slow them down and other people need concentration. You know, meditation and yoga really falls into two areas. One is concentration based and the other is absorption based, hmm. meaning you know, I can still my mind and focus with the point of focus and that gets me to a meditative state or I can absorb myself in some practice or some experience and that will get me to a meditative state. So right off the bat, it's like a yin and a yang. Um, what what I do is uh, is chanting and chat, chanting is an active meditation. So I'll repeat uh, uh, and I'll sing a mantra and while I'm singing the mantra, you know, I become engulfed in that, and it can be simple like "om." It can be an, an English word like "I will" or "I am." It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that with meditation, the goal is always to, you know, to still the mind and to quiet the dynamic of the mind. And they say that, you know, meditation ultimately is is a reflection of yourself into the higher uh, realms of awareness. And a metaphor which I really love is that of a lake. You know, when a lake is active, when it's windy and there's lots of activity going on, you're the lake. And when your lake is full because you're thinking and you're running out and running errands and activated, the water is choppy and there is no stillness and there's no reflection on the lake. But when early in the morning you're meditating and your mind is quiet the energy is focused, you're being absorbed into it, or you're, you're calming your thoughts, then the lake becomes a clear reflection. And the metaphor is that that reflection, the quality of that reflection, is the quality of the connection between your own being and life in general, your superconscious, the world, the divine, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the higher state. 
that we know the yoga teaches us that there's a higher state and, and in that higher place we're all one and the universe is, is, is like a giant being. But when we are not aware of that, all we are is aware of our own personal self, my own thoughts, my own feelings. You know, I, me, mine, as a Beatle would sing. You know, but we know yeah. that there's more to it. So, yeah, music can get you there, which is great. Exercise can get you there. You have a mental meditation, which can come from the power of your thought. You have heartfelt meditations, almost devotional meditations that are like prayers that come from opening the heart, and they can create the energy um, on any being. Yoga is a means to uh, to make a union of, and almost any practice can be a yoga. Any practice can be something that can connect you with your higher self. It's just a question of uh, how you practice. So I agree 100%. Most people, they... They try something once. It's like going to the gym. You know, if you go to the gym, you can't go to the gym, lift weights, do like a couple of curls and a few bench presses, and then suddenly have ripped abs. It's right. a practice. <laughs> you have to do it over and over, and then you'll see the results. And, no, but, well, you know, usually you when people it... go to the gym, they're sore for the first time. And same thing with meditation. They don't have a good experience because they, they don't know. Right. Yeah. And I was just getting. I I think the point that someone complains that or 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 does something positive, asks for peace in their life, looks for ways to have some peace, have some calming, have some joy. Have uh, at the point that somebody's asking that question, they have no idea what the things they're really truly asking for really are because they're so far away from it. Typically nowadays, when they're asking that stuff, they'll make a joke on social media, and that right there Mm -hmm. tells me. They're all, they're so far out that it's been so long that they've had any peace because you can tell when somebody doesn't have a practice, a daily one, that <laughs> you can just tell. And it's like, man, you just, oh, I would love to take that. You almost started a meditation just describing a lake that was choppy just a, a, a bit ago. And I was just like, ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to use that because I make – meditations i make guided meditations and uh, i'm always trying to come up with different ways to help people just visualize where they want to go and my thing is i just noticed that so many people are in this you know they complain about this chaotic world we live in and um they wish that things could be simply they're wishing for some temporary reprieve from the stuff that they're experiencing the onslaught of information and lights and sounds and you know, whining <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. And uh, they just don't even have any idea in that moment just how peaceful peace really truly is. They're so they're as far away from it, I think, as they can get. Do you oh, love yeah. watching people melt into the ecstasy of release when you know that the person you're watching, I mean, you've probably had this several times in your own experience where and you, we all strive for it from that point forward, because it's just the most delicious feeling you can have. I think in some ways, at least mentally, it's like taking a giant mental shower and, uh, you know, that fresh, clean, minty feeling afterwards. Do you like watching people well, do funny. that? I, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've been fortunate enough to uh, to be able to experience people that were much more down, farther down the path than I myself. And I think the initial... The initial thing is, you know, when you 
offer a practice to somebody and then you witness them growing, you feel a sense of pride, a sense of community, a sense of doing something. And mm. so on a, on, a, on, a, on a core level, that is really important and it's really wonderful. And then on the next, you know, an, a, another lens to look through it, if you were to you know, go to Tibet and speak to some Tibetan person, then they would say, oh, that's all very interesting. But don't forget, you're not the moon. You're just the finger pointing at the moon. You know, as someone who teaches yeah. someone else meditation, it's a great initiation. But it's also something that we don't want to get completely caught up in ourselves. In the end, meditation or yoga practice is a very ind- individual thing. Um, you know, it's everybody has their own inner path. And that inner path is not tweeting on Facebook. You know, it's not talking to people. It's not sharing anything. It's just being. The greatest meditation teacher can be someone that can just be with you and not say a word. But because of they have, you know, what happens through meditation is, okay, all they'll say in yoga that all of the universe is created through vibration. You know, high vibration, you hear that a lot. You know, vibration. You yeah. know, that, that light is made out of vibration. Sound is made out of vibration. Our very beings and everything are susceptible to vibration. So when somebody meditates profoundly, you know, they are cutting out the lower vibrations. You know, they're cutting out the monkey mind, the the, the fast vibrations. They're slowing everything down. The vibration of God, the vibration of the earth is a long, slow wave like that, that clear lake. The vibration of everday life is this chitter-chatter, this, this ba-la-la-la-la, quick, you know, and that is contrary to the to the alpha state or whatever. So sometimes, and I don't know if you've noticed this, when you're in the company of someone who is a is very a profound meditator and who who can because of his own personal energy change the vibrations in the room you can feel it and i always yeah. you know i always do advocate to meditate initially together because it's like it's like a workout you know i can go to the gym and there's 10 guys working out with me and i feel like motivated you know and i'm working out and and there is a little sense of human competition in there but if i go down to the gym by in my basement by myself i don't know if i can work out quite as hard you know so i take a yoga class there's 20 people and there's someone leading me through a yoga class and i take that hour that 90 minutes because i'm in the class but if I go down to my basement by myself, can I still do a 90-minute practice? At first, we need help. You know, we need people to teach us. And that, and it's an important role, like you say, that meditation teachers and yoga teachers, they serve, they help people. But in the end, it's up to the individual's practice. In the end, it doesn't matter if you can go to the gym and work out or if you can do a yoga class with a group. If you can't do it on your own, what good will it be? Because most of the time, we're alone. So, right, right. you know, that, that's why I, I, we created the Love Light Festival. Um, I, I spent 20 years touring, playing, and, you know, doing meditation and music, and I saw the power of a group. You know, I was fortunate to play with a guy named Krishnadas, who is one of our headliners, and he would take a 1,000 people a night into a place through music and through a little bit of talking and some visualizations, but mostly just by being. You know, he would sort of channel this energy the same way a great, like the way Tony Robbins can channel this energy to a group. You know, people will go and they'll have this group experience and then they'll go home 
And once you have that strong group experience, you know, then you have a, a sort of a blueprint in your mind. You have a memory. You have a feeling that you can get back to. If you haven't experienced that feeling, and this is what you were talking about when I when I tuned in, if you haven't, if you have a profound experience the first time, like if you took a hit of LSD and meditated and you had this amazing experience, then you can go back and you can remember that experience. But if you haven't had that strong experience, then you don't know what you're looking for. There's this great yoga teacher named Yogananda, and he was one of the first people to come mm-hmm. from India in the, in the early 20th century, and he was really sort of the father of American yoga. And he said yeah. that, and he's got this metaphor, he said that um, if you doubt, you will never know. But if you know, you will never doubt. So it's really a question of having that first peak experience, whether it's in a group or at the hands of a teacher or even just a spontaneous thing that once you felt that energy, you know, if you're a Christian, you say once you felt the Holy Spirit, then you no longer have any doubt. And it's the same thing with meditation. Once you felt that deep space, however you got there, whether it's physical, mental, absorption, concentration, however, you need that first experience. Once you've had that, then you can get back to it. And that's what the role of the teacher is. Yeah. It's to provide that really because to somebody. Isn't it just because beyond that, that they're on their, they should be under their own power from that day forward, right? I mean, oh, yeah. once you've touched... Once you've touched that light, there's no need for anybody to prod you, hey, did you meditate today? Or anything like that because you can't not, you can't unsee what you see, whatever that might be, right? It's going to be something That's incredible right. and you'll know it when you feel you it. Know, and uh, Lao Tzu, yeah. the, the, great found, the great founder of, of uh, Taoism, you know, he said to know and not to act is not to know. So once you've had this, it's your responsibility to continue on. But you can never say, yeah. I didn't know, once you've been awakened for the first time. Then you can only say, I didn't do my homework. All right, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get tough now. This was all this is all nice one on one level stuff, but let's 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 apply what you know to the world we uh seem to live in. <laughs> you know, the reality we seem to be experiencing here. And I, and this is leverage masters, so I, what I wanna be able to do, um and I know that you've probably been involved in lots of discussions that border on or hit this right on the nose, is to be able to leverage the numbers of people, the lights you, you guys are turning on through this festival year after year, the new people the, and, and the old people coming together who are, you know, uh, seasoned and everything, and this, these groups, these gatherings, which uh, some writers have uh, prophesied <laughs> that would happen in times like this when the world is experiencing turmoil and things like that, that there would be groups of people just like you putting together festivals just like yours, and there would be more and more. But is there any way that we should be or that you're excited about leveraging the foothold that we have with mindfulness, a lot more mindful thinkers, a, a lot more people who are talking about it? It does seem in one sense to have a ground swelling at the other, at the other sense, if you're if you're feeling at all some resistance or negativity, you're like, is it going to be enough? Because look around, man. You know, at times I can get into that state where I'm just like, holy crap, are we keeping up? Is there any way we could leverage this more? What are your plans for getting this into the minds and hands and bodies of more and more people year after year? 
Well, I mean, you know, first of all, I guess I would say that, you know, I, I try to look around at what's happening. I try to play my part in the cosmic passion play that we're all living in. And at the same time, you know, I've studied enough about yoga and I've, and I know that it's real that I have to, you know, follow its tenets. I can have an aspiration or an ambition, but I know that that is mine, that it's coming from my ego, right? And then I know that there's a larger aspiration, a divine aspiration, like, you know, what does the world, what does the universe want to happen here? Uh, so yeah. I think we do our best. We can, We do our best, but we also have to realize that whatever happens, whether we fail or whether we succeed, the ultimate prayer is just thank you. I tried, thank you, it worked. Or I tried, thank you, it didn't work, I'll try again. Uh, karma yoga, which is, there's so many kinds of yoga. Maybe karma yoga is the most important right now at this time in our world. Karma yoga is the path of doing good, right? So simply stated. And the other part of it is you do the best you can and you don't have any desire for the outcome of the action, Right? Because the way that karma yoga would say is, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to clean the park, and I don't, I'm not doing it to make myself feel good about myself. I'm not going to go help someone so I can pat myself on the back and say, look what a great guy I am. Karma yoga is when you just do good and you have no desire. So what happens is when you have no desire of the outcome and you're just out there doing, like the bumper sticker says, practicing random acts of kindness, then the karma changes, right? See, karma is not a deal where it's like, I do this so I can get that. Karma is right. the result of an action. When I take an action, my karma is the result of that action. So as long as my ego and my ambition is tied into it, it's not as pure as it can be. So we set the stage and we perform our action and then we move on. And it sounds very simple, but it's actually very hard because we do have desirous outcome. We do want the best to happen. And then when the best doesn't happen, then what do we do? Then we have a tantrum. You know, so I my hope with Love Light Festival is that, that it, we create a beautiful experience where thousands of people come. And this has happened so far. And, you know, every time I feel pride, I try to just check myself and say, okay, because this could crash tomorrow. But people come, they learn, they share, they, they, they eat good vegetarian food, they listen to good spiritual music, their families come, and I, I provide them a place where at least for three days they can get away from all the negativity in the world and they can have a, a, a real experience. You know, that's all I can yeah. do. And if, yeah. it, if it grows, I'll be very happy. If it, I'll try not to be very sad. But whatever happens, I try to just walk... You know, there's a song that I sing, which from a shaman um, in in Brazil, he wrote it. And, and the line goes, in eternity, we walk one step at a time. You know, we're just walking down a path. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, that path could change the next day. So, you know, we're planning Love Light 2019, but we're not planning Love Light 2022. You know, <laughs> trying to take it one step at a time. And so my hope is, and I hope for all the people that are um, listening, you know, I I believe in um, karma. I also believe in, in uh, surrounding myself with high vibrational 
people that have done great things. Like I, I was very happy and lucky to, you know, perform with the Dalai Lama or with people like that. So uh, I enrolled Michael Lang, who was the producer of the Woodstock festivals to help with Love Light. And he's one of our partners. You know, my hope would be wow, nice. maybe Love Light could be like Woodstock. Maybe 400,000 people will come sometime, but we're, we're not in a position where it's not like we have a deal with Pepsi Cola and, you know, Ford to create a 400,000 person gathering. If it happens, it has to happen organically. So anyone who's listening can go to lovelightfestival.com and read the story and they'll know that Michael Lang will be at the show sharing his wisdom, you know, and he's had many, many large gatherings. And of course in 1969, that was a sort of a spontaneous event. And then in 1999 and 1994, he had other Woodstocks and there's plans on Woodstock 50. You know, our event, Love Light, we're just trying to focus on spiritual and groovy component of the first Woodstock, the peace and love part of it, not the big rock stars and not the drugs. It's a, actually, it's a drug-free, alcohol-free gathering. So right off the bat, it's not, it's not, you know, a big rock show. It's a small gathering, but we're trying to continue what we call the values of the Woodstock generation, you know, from 67 to 69, there was a moment of consciousness. It was a reaction against a very difficult society, a time in our, in our society when things were turning upside down a lot like right now. And the hippies, you know, they really brought a lot of this meditation, yoga, veganism, consciousness, sustainability, all these things that are now becoming mainstream were introduced by the hippies, by, you know, at Woodstock, at the Summer of Love. So we're just trying to continue that energy. That's what Love Light's about. And, you know, back then, yoga and meditation was a huge part of this culture. You know, it's become, it, it didn't make it in so much into the movie. It didn't make it so much into the history books. But if you do a little research, Everything that we're talking about now, you can see what's happening in 1967 to 1969. So that's that's our personal thing. We're trying to like go back a little bit to the to that generation and to to bring their values on and forward it on to the next generation. But um, there's no official plan. It's it's growing. We were inspired by Burning Man. Burning Man was not a festival that someone said, I'm going to create this in my mind. And then they took out their pen and they created Burning Man. Burning Man was an no. event. It wasn't a top-down event. It was an event where everybody came to the event and they all brought a little something and they co-created Burning Man. So Love Light is a lot like that. You know, we have rules like Burning Man. We're like, okay, no drugs, no alcohol, no meat. You know, we want to, if you want happiness, if you want healing, that's what we're offering. But from there on, yeah. it's like an open stage. The festival is a giant canvas and everybody gets to draw their part. And if you want to meet a meditator and take Qigong classes, you can. If you want to meet a meditator to learn yoga, if you want to learn, if you want to learn Buddhism or Ayurveda, we just offer all these teachers come together out of their own kindness. It's, this is a very organic thing. It's not like this mega sponsors or millions of dollars. We're not, you know, we're not bringing in Deepak Chopra. Of course, he's invited if he happens to hear about it. It's like our <laughs> local people. It's like people like Sid McNary with the studio in Baltimore and someone else with the studio in D.C. and someone in Philly and Jersey. They're all coming and they're sharing. And I've been lucky enough as a successful yoga musician to meet so many great people, so I invite them. 
lot of friends and family. And I hope you guys can make it too. And I think it sounds like a blast. Oh, it's really great. Yeah, it's, it's going to be on. Yeah, on the weekend of uh, the sep- September twenty first weekend, just outside of Baltimore. I saw that. I've been look. I've been spying on your page as we've been talking here. <laughs> it's my kind of thing. I, I go to festivals. We have gone to festivals for as long as I've been able to get into festivals, and of all kinds. The the rock kind, the peaceful kind, the hippie kind, especially. Uh, Follow the Dead a little bit back in the day, and uh, and you, what you were talking about, the things that really don't make it into the movie, and, and uh, you'd only have to look a little bit deeper than most people do to find that, you know, that that stuff was really a lot more prevalent than they ever made into a big deal. I don't know why. I think I think sometimes people get shamed into or subconsciously at least, uh, not talking about the woo-woo because they've just heard so much of the reaction to that. And I don't know why right. people would ever be in that and then become also susceptible to something like that. But I can't explain it in any other way because that very that should have been like a at least 30% of, of what people, you know, because people were really looking for something. They weren't just out there saying, wow, Hendrix is a really good guitar player. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, right. uh, they weren't, a lot of it has really just become about the music, which is important, but it just wasn't uh, the whole thing. So, no, but I love what you no, guys are absolutely. doing. And I wish, I wish there were thousands more festivals like that. I have gone on a global festival on the internet and I'm very, very pleased, although they're very, very different and they're always typically around music. They're everywhere. And then, you start looking at videos of what's going on there, and, to, and the video, of course, is around the music, but they'll pan around the crowd, and I'm like, that's my crowd. I get it. Ah. I can tell right away when I can see my crowd, and there may be, you know, uh, things that aren't at your festival there, but but there's but it is there everywhere. It is there. In fact, anywhere people are just gathered together and really super happy together, it's there too. Like, it doesn't even matter if it's just one concert of music that you don't even particularly favor. Uh, if they're all in a big old group and they're super happy and they're not thinking about anything but focusing on any one thing, I can feel that energy. I know you can, too. I mean, you've practiced a lot uh, just by being around these groups and putting these groups together, uh, feeling that energy. And it's, it's amazing. You probably can't wait to get back to the next one. I would imagine that's the way I yeah. usually feel. Oh yeah, I think there's some Christian quote or something about, you know, when the group of people gather together in my name, I am there. I'm paraphrasing something along those lines, and that's I think yeah, what you're referring yeah. to. Um, and yeah, these these festivals, um, some of them are called transformational festivals. It's it's a new movement in festival culture. Um, transformational festivals, uh, their goal is their name transformational you know they're all different kinds some are rock some are most of them are electronic like burning man some of them are yoga festivals too but there's a there is a movement it's just that you know no one really knows about them because they are they're they're small and they're created by people that are outside of the mainstream corporate culture so it's a grassroots movement for sure but that's you know, Love Light was really heavily inspired by transformation festivals, by Woodstock itself, 
and by yoga festivals. So we're kind of a, a mix of all three. Movements are kind of the only things that can be successfully undertaken and uh, and pulled off from the grassroots. It's a it's yeah. a thing, right? And so I became successful in my uh, first major foray into business when I accidentally created a movement. I had no idea uh-huh. <laughs> what I was doing, but it was around blogging when that was all taking off and no marketers were really doing it. I was one of the first marketers to do it back when it was just puristic, uh, idealistic. Like if you wouldn't dare put an ad on your blog back then, or you wouldn't uh, right. commercialize or monetize it in any way back then. And then here comes this marketer. And from my world, I was like, I don't want to do that either. My advertising is basically going to be for my own products, so I'm not going to take ads or any of that stuff. But I thought that was cool enough. Um, but we started to pay more attention to uh, people reading a lot more online and looking for really quality content. And uh, so I built a membership site, and there were some things that were seemingly fighting against our uh, ability to succeed. And all of a sudden, it seems like, I know it didn't work out exactly like this, but it's long ago enough that I can embellish. It seems like I woke up one day and everybody was in this, we're all in this together kind of mood. And when that happened, the passionate testimonials that came out of the the, the site to people who hadn't uh, had a membership yet were so different than any of my colleagues who also had membership sites to do training and uh, get together and you know and and help people succeed with whatever they were doing. Mine had this little bit of a uh, evangelistic situation going on, and I don't really, I never really on purpose made that happen. It just happened that way, and that's when I stumbled on the idea that people in groups, um, if they're gathered around for the right reason, and they're really really all passionate about it, and they really feel themselves with a group that once they leave that group, they're going to immediately start thinking about going back into that group, like the next festival or the next time we can all feel that energy together. And it's really, really powerful. But movements are the only thing capable of doing uh, what I did was tell a long, long story to ask you, how is yours completely grassroots? I mean, I don't think Ford or Pepsi are ever going to be the ones. If you do 400,000 people, I would hope that it was different companies anyway, big ones that can help you, but <laughs> probably not those two. And, and uh, I mean, when does it – I know you can't plan and, and all that kind of stuff. You don't want to get too much into that, but, but discuss the power of the leverage of the grassroots that have really – it sounds like a lot of the people that come to your festival end up there more on a down low than any kind of major promotion that you guys can't probably afford anyway, right? Uh, well, you know, in a, in a sense, yes, but everything is relative. You know, it's it's yes. by by somewhat by a lot of people's standards, this would be a big venture, and we 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 do spend money advertising on Facebook and Instagram. You know, we have flyers that, like any other festival, we put them out on the street mm-hmm. and and we we send them to yoga studios. So there is there is marketing, and and also, you know, to be honestly, um, there's nothing bad about like having a aligning yourself with a with a corporation or having a sponsor. Um right. You know, and Ford is a great company. They put out electric cars and Ford is a sponsor of, of another yoga festival that's out there and, and 
you know, at that yoga festival, Ford is pushing their electric cars, not their F-150s, and that's okay. You know, um, yeah. I, I do believe that, unfortunately, you know, and there's right now, you know, until the next vote comes around, you know, these corporations, they have tremendous power. And there's a lot of corporations that are compassionate and that are doing good work. And I think it's really more about who you ally yourself with. At the Love Light Festival, we would be happy to work with any group, whether it's an individual or whether it's a corporation or whether it's a government or whether it's a foundation or anything, as long as, you know, their values match ours and they want to help create right. a positive change. You know, so there is this leveraging, like you're speaking about, of how do you how do you get this across? We're fortunate because we're, you know, allied with the Woodstock and, you know, I hate to say the, the Woodstock Corporation, but, you know, I'm, you can't really have a business entity now in America without being one. So, yeah, there's the Woodstock Nation of all the people, all the hippies that were born in 1968. And then there's the Woodstock Production Company, you know, that produces events. And there's a Woodstock Licensing Company that makes sure that their their image is held in a certain way. All of this, you know, it's impossible to really, I think, to have – a really sustainable mass movement without adhering to sort of that which is. I mean, there's always going to be, and we all pray for the next Martin Luther King, you know, the next, you know, iconic person who can just change the world with their idea and with the, with their speech. Um, I'm not that person. You know, if I was, maybe I would have a different stance. But for me, you know, I, I just try to, like, gather together all these different people that have a like mind and invite them to come. And Love Light Festival, you know, we're not activists. I, I, I personally have strong views. And, and, and as a matter of fact, I, you know, Love Light Festival was born from my activism. I was getting literally yeah. getting arrested doing a civil disobedience in, in front of the Chinese embassy trying to protest the abuse of the Tibetans back in when, when I sort of met, you know, my future partners mm-hmm. for the first time through that. But now it seems that the world is so difficult that our goal with Love Light is just to give people a chance to heal and learn and have a good time. And that in itself, sadly, seems like activism nowadays. Um, but my hat's <laughs> off to the, yeah. to the real activists that are out there fighting the pipelines, you know, fighting the water, fi- cleaning, you know, the, the the earth and keeping the plastic out of the ocean and, you know, working in, you know, on Capitol Hill trying to forward a positive agenda. So politics, well, you know, corporations, it's all part of it. Right. I mean, we live in the world we live in. And a lot of the employees yeah. of those aforementioned companies are probably people who are coming to the festival because they want to be at the festival, not because they work for those companies. You know, yeah. it's like, how do you disentwine everything to the point where it would be all nice and, and laid out and, you know, like an OCD person would put out on an Excel spreadsheet? Life isn't like that. It's messy. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely, yeah. I definitely get that. It's a... Uh, it's really kind of it's really kind of neat how people um, do come together and oh, oh here's what I was thinking of earlier uh, if you're on the if you're in a war maybe this isn't the best analogy for peaceful things but there are people on the front lines like you were talking about the activists who you really appreciate but your festival might be sort of likened to 
being behind the front lines and providing aid and comfort to the <laughs> downtrodden soldiers oh, yeah. who very much need a place war, to go. We, we would be like the we would be the sort of R and R place where they go to Hawaii for a week to rest, but and then before yeah. they go back, yeah. Yeah, you put a bandage yeah. on their head, and they tell you their story about the front lines, and and then uh, and then you tell them stories of much more beautiful things, and let them decompress, let them, yeah. I mean that that is a very crucial role. The front line wouldn't exist without the back line. In fact, nothing would exist right? without the other thing. So. <laughs> and the Love Life Festival yeah. also, we realize, we realize that, you know, everybody is engaged in something. But people tend to get caught up in what they're caught up in. Like, I'm a vegan, and all I care about is is saving animals, and I'm a vegan activist, and maybe I'm not speaking to this person over here who's involved in helping, you know, uh, disenfranchised kids, or maybe I'm not involved in speaking to someone here who's in recovery. You know, so so by giving everyone a chance to get together, they will learn about each other's causes and support each other. You know, that's another important thing is that we can't all just be islands like fighting our own individual war. I mean, we need to all get together sometimes and and learn from each other and say, oh, you know, I mean, I I work with recovery. Well, this could really work if you took this concept and applied it to environmental activism. Yeah. There is a lot of, you know, when you talk about that, it it makes me look at, some things that I've seen over the years that in a different light, we're all kind of, we all are susceptible to becoming our own Instagram star where you yeah. look at somebody who's really, really wildly popular on Instagram and they have a yoga thing or they have, there's tons of yoga Instagram people out there that more fashion <laughs> models, I think than anything else, but everybody's in their own world and their world is worthy. They might be vegan and then they have a blog about, you know, this and that's their whole, but, you're you're mentioning something that I've always thought was really weird. Is like everybody gets into their personas, which is not their selves. It's just their persona and this physical experience. You know, we're all actors, really. I mean, that's what we're doing. So I act like a vegan. I act like a meditator. And, and, and people, you know, know me as some of those things, as also a marketer and all of that. But I'm none of those things. And I think these festivals, I think what you do when you get people together like this is people can drop that whole thing. They have the opportunity right. to do it anyway. <laughs> Sometimes they don't, but they can just drop that whole thing and just people again, just human again, just be again without having to be that thing. And then if it comes up, oh, yeah, I have this blog on veganism. I can help you with uh, your thing on Alzheimer's because I think we can talk about, you know, I think that stuff is really important because these days you can get isolated to the degree that you really identify yourself as whatever you say about yourself on your Instagram account, <laughs> which is almost so 99% funny. some way false. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly addressed. And another thing which I which always makes me smile is that, you know, at Love Light Festival, 20 to 25% of our audience is over 55 I think it's because of the Woodstock Nation and Michael's legacy, um, but we have quite a bit. A lot for a festival, we have a lot of elders, and these elders have wisdom and experience, you know. And and so there'll be, you know, there'll be the the thirty year old star who's you know spent a good seven years on their path, and you know they're in it and they're like out there and and they're using modern tech. Instagram and everything, and suddenly they come into contact with someone who's been meditating for 50 years. 
you know, <laughs> and then to see that exchange is amazing. You know, at first we were oh, yeah. wondering what's going to happen. Are the kids going to like the grandparents, you know, because when I was a kid, we <laughs> never wanted to hang out with our parents and, you know, but times have changed and especially in this like conscious world that we've seen this great embrace of the generations and, and the elderly are getting so much out of it because they're being listened to and respected and honored you know, and, and vice versa, too. There's these proud kids that are like, wait a second. You know, you, I'm not discovering this. This isn't, you know, you've already had this experience. And there's, there's some metaphysical teaching I read once that said that nothing new has been invented in the wisdom traditions. In spirituality, there's nothing new. You know, yeah. everything exists. Maybe the Internet is new, but the actual, you know, wisdom tradition is the same. It's called ageless timeless wisdom and each generation just keeps relearning it and reinventing it and it's important i think to have this exchange between uh, the elders and the youth and so that's that was not we didn't plan that for love light again it just sort of happened but it's very beautiful to witness oh i bet absolutely yeah i mean it's it's uh it's organic and that's kind of what we are so it is fun the idea of just not really tossing people together like a salad because, again, you said you didn't really do it on purpose. It just happened. But, you know, if you hadn't put the festival together and you hadn't done what you've done to create a space for it, it wouldn't ha- have happened. That might be the most passive way to put together a salad, but you did make salad. You are making yeah. salad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we mix the ingredients up, and then it just happened to turn into something nice on its own. Awesome. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left. Thank you so much, first of all, for being on, especially last minute, like you uh, did. It was a bit of a surprise that, hey, you're on a radio show. <laughs> but thank yeah, you so much for taking the time. Nice. One more time, tell us the URL of the site uh, for the festival. Sure. It's lovelightfestival.com. And it's a very cool site. Everybody should really enjoy that. If anybody's in the area or fairly close, it's coming up yeah. uh, September 21st to the 24th, 2018, in Maryland. Rearstown, Maryland. Reisterstown. Reisterstown. Okay. It's just outside of Baltimore. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well once again, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much, Lynn. This was an thank awesome, you, awesome opportunity to, share, to talk to you. And we will be back same time, same place next week. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.